we like to remember things. We have birthdays and anniversaries. We have over 160 monuments in Washington, D.C. We even have a monument to a tree behind which a sniper stood in an effort to assassinate President Lincoln. Monuments. Monuments tell stories. And not all of our stories are happy ones. We have around our country monuments of victories, but monuments of tragedies. Some of the sadder monuments that we see, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, we have the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, we have here in Springfield a monument recalling the lynching that was on the square of Springfield. We have in Springfield a a plaque indicating that the Trail of Tears of Native Americans came through this area. Maybe it's good that not only our monuments celebrate victories, but our monuments mourn tragedies. Do the sad monuments serve a purpose? Philosopher and historian George Santayana said, yes, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. The poet Maya Angelou says, history, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived and defaced with courage. There is the key, isn't it? It need not be lived again. Now, there is some legislation in our nation, specifically in legislatures of the states, many of the states that are mandating that only a feel-good history be taught to our students in history class. But I propose to you that the antidote to feel-good history is not feel-bad history, but it's honest history. It's inclusive history. It includes all peoples that make up this melting pot of the United States. On 9-11, the memorial acknowledges, gives us an opportunity to mourn. And the saying that goes with that event is never forget. But I'm thinking this, and you may or may not agree with this. We really don't want to forget what was done to us, but we seem to be ready to forget what was done by us. We don't want to forget what happened to us on 9-11. But how many of us prefer to forget what we did, what Europeans did? to the Native Americans who were already on this land. Trail of Tears is one small monument that causes us to mourn for what we've done to citizens, human beings of another race and white, how we treated Humanity. We don't like to remember those, do we? 
I want us to think about that. If we're so ready to remember what was done to us, then I beg of you, please remember what was done by us. If we fail to remember what was done by us, do you not think that it increases the chances that we would do it again? The Old Testament Hebrew Scripture book of Joshua, after the death of Moses and the crossing of the Jordan River from the wilderness into the land of Canaan, Joshua summoned the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one per tribe. And Joshua told them, Go in front of the ark of the Lord your God to the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to put a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the Israelite tribes. The stones will be a reminder. Some translations say a memorial to you. And when your children ask someday, why are these stones important to you? Tell them how the water of the Jordan stopped flowing before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Memorials are memory aids. Everybody gets to that point where we need memory aids. Oh my gosh. Where are my glasses, Nisi? Have you seen them? They're on your head. There's not one day, I don't think this is an exaggeration, that goes by that I don't ask Denise where I put something. It's as if I expect her to follow me like a shadow. I dropped an item in the hallway a moment ago, and a very dear person picked it up and waved. Did you drop this? Of course I did. You know, when people die, we try to remember them. We do it through headstones. And we put some kind of a statement on that headstone that reflects that person and helps everybody who might see that headstone know something of them. Case fudge. That's what people are to remember about K. You might want to write this down. It's a pretty good recipe. I like the last line as much as I like the recipe. Wherever she goes, there's laughter. That would be a nice line to which to be remembered. But headstones are not the only thing that enables people to remember those who have died. We write these things called obituaries. Obituaries have nothing to do with death, or have very little to do with the death. A death notice has something to do with death, but an obituary has everything to do with that person's life. Let's give you an example. This is the obituary part of it by, uh, written by James Groth for him. Jim died knowing that Monty Python and the Holy Grail was the best movie ever. Bruce Springsteen, the best recording artist. Clint Eastwood, the baddest man on the planet. And that chicks dig El Caminos. Man, I wish I would have known that. It didn't go much for Volkswagen Beetles. 
His regards were few, but included eating a rotisserie. His regrets were few, I'm sorry, but included eating rotisserie hot dog from a convenience store in the summer of 2002, not training his faithful dog, Rita, to detect cancer, and that no video evidence exists of his prowess on the soccer field or in the bedroom. <laughs> well, it does exist today. I just don't recommend it. This is Val Patterson. He wrote his own obituary. Now that I have gone to my reward, I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motor View drive-in back in June 1971. I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, I really am not a PhD. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan at the U of U, University of Utah, the girl working there put my receipt into the wrong stack. And two weeks later, a PhD <laughs> diploma came in the mail. I didn't even graduate. I only had about three years of college credit. In fact, I never did even learn what the letters PhD stood for. For all of the electronic engineers I've worked with, I'm sorry. But you have to admit, my designs always worked very well and were well-engineered, and I always made you laugh at work. Good guy. He goes on. <laughs> My regret, and this is really sad, makes me sad, after that good humor, is that I felt invincible when young and smoked cigarettes when I knew they were bad for me. Now to make it worse, I've robbed my beloved Mary Jane. Of a decade or more, the two of us growing old together and laughing at all the thousands of simple things that we have come to enjoy and fill our lives with such happy words and moments. My pain is enormous, but it pales in comparison to watching my wife feel my pain. Well, you can read the rest as she lovingly cares for and comforts me. I feel such the thief now for stealing so much from her. There's no pill that I can take to erase that pain. You know that a large part, portion of my life is performing weddings and funerals. And as I approach my 66th birthday, I'm probably thinking more about funerals than I'd ever thought before, my own. And not that I think I'm going to die anytime soon, but you just never know, do you? All of us are in that boat. I'm thinking about who I want to speak at my funeral and who I do not want to speak at my funeral. <laughs> that, that's a long list. And uh, no, I'm not taking suggestions. I'm thinking about what songs to sing. Any suggestions? I am taking those. Please email those suggestions to me. Uh, what I want my uh, headstone to say and what I want the obituary to say. Uh, I'll probably trust uh, Denise and Daniel and Devin to write that if I go before they. 
I'll be in trouble if I let you ride it. Is there anything you want to say now? Oh, gosh, you guys will put it together, that's for sure. Oh. When I think about that, I go to the Paul's letter to the Philippians that he wrote while he was in a Roman prison. And I, I've never been in prison. You're still tomorrow, but I've never been in prison. Uh, and I think when you're in those kind of situations, you begin to not be quite so frivolous. You take things a little bit more serious, whether you're in the waiting room of a hospital, whether you're in a funeral home planning office, uh, whether you're in prison, your thoughts are sober. So while Paul was in prison, in the very first chapter, the third verse, Paul says to the people in Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, I thank God. Wouldn't that be nice that if everyone, when they thought of you, thanked God for those memories? That's good, isn't it? Every time I think of you, every time I remember you, I think of God. Now, that's not always the case. I, I've stood before multiple families in the chapels of funeral homes given the task of saying something about a person about whom the family had nothing good to say. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example. The daughter wrote of her dad of bad parenting and a commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. Leslie's passing proves that evil does, in fact, die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. I apologize to anyone my father hurt, and I felt it would have been offensive to portray him as anything other than what he was. This obituary was intended to bring closure because not talking about domestic violence does not make it go away. There are too many obituaries that reflect that same sadness. I don't want that to be mine. A lot of questions we ask ourselves as we uh, think about our lives, and not, you don't have to be 66 to ask yourselves these questions. Most everybody asks these questions, things like, what do I want to do? Really, what do I want to become? What do I need to do in order to be a success, however we define that success? But those are all good questions, but I, I think the one question that may supersede those other ones, they're all good, and I encourage you to ask them, 
But the one question that I think in my life, anyway, is the primary question that should guide my life, and maybe yours too, is this. How do I want to be remembered? And however I answer that question, well then, the task is easy. I just start being that way. If I want to be remembered as a jerk, I'm just going to keep on being what I am, then a jerk. No. I want to be remembered as kind, and I start right now being kind. If I want to be remembered as helpful, as an advocate for justice, then I'm going to start doing that right now. The good thing is that if you're still here, and you are, you're still writing your book. You've not come to the end. It doesn't matter what the previous chapters are. You can start writing a new book right now, a new chapter anyway. Well, how do you want to be remembered? And start being that right now. That question to me has at least three benefits. It tells you what you stand for, your core personal values. It shows you how you want to show up in your daily life. Day has begun, the sun is up, I'm out of bed. I want to show up as a kind person today. And it roots you in the present. Today, I will be this. Right this moment, I am sober. Right this moment, I am kind. Right this moment, I am thoughtful and considerate, and I am listening and trying to understand someone. Now, the next moment, I'll worry about that the next moment. But right now, this is who I am, and this is how I am behaving. It roots me in the present. Rosa Parks says, I would like to be remembered as a person who wanted to be free so other people would also be free. We remember Rosa Parks as the one who sat down on that bus. Alala Yusafas. You don't want to be remembered as the girl who was shot. You remember she was violently, brutally shot in her face as a proponent for girls' education. I want to be remembered as the girl who stood up. Rosa, the woman who sat down. Malala, the woman who stood up. Al Pacino, I like to be remembered as the only man who lived to be 250 years old. So how do you want to be remembered? Once you determine the answer to that question, just start being that way. I think asking yourself, how do you want to be remembered, to me, is similar, or at least it leads to another question. How do you want people to feel around you and because of you? Back to Maya Angelou, I've learned that people will forget what you said 
It's kind of a sad thought. All the sermons I've preached and everybody will forget them. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think Miss Angelou would admit that a lot of what we say and a lot of what we do is the substance of then how we make people feel. What are our words? And that's not, not just my words to a congregation on a Sunday morning, but it's my words to Denise, to Daniel and to Devin and to daughters-in-law, Emily and Kylie, and to you. How do I want people to feel about me when I'm gone? An important question. So if you're a leader, think about the people with whom you work, over whom you have the responsibility of employment, and how do you want them to feel when they work with you? And if you are a parent, how do you want your children to feel when they reflect back on their childhood? In short, it's simple. Just decide how you want to be remembered and how you want people to feel and be that way. So I want to close with this tongue-in-cheek statement by Conan. Eventually, all our graves go unattended. We have Memorial Day to maybe Make sure that doesn't happen. Make sure people are remembered. Whether it's people that serve the country, whether it's a family member or a friend or an unknown individual, we all deserve to be remembered. Let's do that on this Memorial Day.